So when I was in my uh, 20s somewhere, I can't remember exactly what part of the 20s, I was, um, I was helping out with the youth group that was at our church. Um, and there's, um, there's different youth group cultures that exist across churches. Um, some, some youth group cultures are, are kind of smaller Bible study, you know, trying related teens thing. Then, then there's some that get up to like, full-on, like, shows, right? Like, it's a pretty big um, variance, uh, pretty, pretty, um, the, the, the scale is pretty wide as far as, as how, how those go. The one I was in, um, we, were, we were down with the entertainment. Um, and so what we would do is at the time, time that we were, um, that this particular incident took place, there was probably um, around 200 or 225 kids or so that would show up for, youth group on a, on a Wednesday night. And so we decided we were going to create this thing um, called the Reality Awards. Reality was the name of the youth group. We were going to make this, these awards. And, um, <clears throat> and so what we wanted to do was we were going to make it kind of like a banquet situation, like where everybody would get dressed up, you know, to come to youth group and pretend that they were at some, you know, swanky show. And we were going to have all kinds of um, celebrity presenter um, of these awards that we would present to um, different kids. And the awards were like, we went and just found a whole bunch of baby dolls and just spray painted them gold. And it was creepy, but cool. And um, so we're going to have all these famous presenters and, um, and, uh, of course nobody famous would come to our youth group award show. So we all dressed up as famous people to present these awards. And so in talking about the, um, the different characters we would be, um, I ended up being Indiana Jones. Um, Dr. Jones is a hero of mine. Um, so I was honored to take the role, um, and so uh, as I was thinking about what it was going to do, we got the idea that Indiana Jones has got to make an entrance, right? He can't just walk up on the stage to some music. Like, it's got to be an entrance. And as we thought about what would be the coolest thing to do, we were sitting in the room. We were in the room. We, we, have a, we met in the gymnasium, and there was like this, this second floor of the gymnasium kind of that was on the other side of a brick wall. So you go through and you up and, but the gymnasium was just, but there was a doorway up top. And so you could open up the doorway and look out over the gym, but there was no like nothing. Like you could just fall out into the gym from like the second floor height. I don't know if I've painted that picture real clear, but you're up there. So we're like, what if somehow my entrance to the stage could be from there to the stage? And so we're like, okay, well, natural thought, we need a zip line. Right? So we're like, okay, if we were to hook up a zip line from all the way up there down to the stage, and then Indiana Jones could just ride the zip line all the way down to the stage, and it would be great, and every, you know, everybody would be excited. What's going on? Somebody flying over their heads. And so we're like, all right, now <clears throat> we um, like to do everything ourselves and do it cheaply. So, you know, for safety's sake, there are some steps that you should take in putting in a zip line. In fact, it can get, it can really kind of get kind of, if you were to do everything right, you know, it's kind of a complicated process. You got to get, you know, angles right to get the right speeds and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, make sure it's all hooked up right so that nothing fails. And then let alone the idea of insurance liabilities of a person riding a zip line over students and just, you know, it could get kind of complicated. Um, we did it very uncomplicatedly. Because we're sitting there like, well, what do you need for a zip line? You need a wire and you need a pulley, 
right? Not too hard. So we decide, we go to Lowe's. We're walking down the aisle. We're like, all right, here's some steel cable. Let's buy this. And uh, okay, well, how are we going to tie that cable off? Well, you're just get some clamps. We'll get those and uh, we need a pulley to ride down. Look, there's a pulley. Let's get a pulley. So we just bought the wire and clamps and pulley, headed back to the gym. We found uh, up through the double doors, we found uh, a rafter that we could tie off one end of it to and clamp it to. And then, then we got down to the other end and, and we, there was uh, big I-beams going up on the side of the gym. We're like, okay, we can wrap around that. Look, there's a hole in this one. We can put it through. That'll be perfect. And we can do that. And we're like, okay. And so we got it and we realized that we just couldn't pull it tight enough to get it, you know, we didn't have the oomph to just be pulling on it and get it tight enough to be able to ride it down without just sagging and hitting the floor like halfway there. Um, and so like the professionals that we were, we were like, oh, the volleyball pole's got a crank on it that pulls the net tight. Go get the volleyball pole. So we got the volleyball pole and we wedged it down behind the I-beam, right? So that it could stick. And then we hooked the thing down and we started just cranking with the volleyball pole because this is how you do zip lines. We're cranking with the volleyball in front. We're like, all right, all right, this looks good. This looks good. And we tied it off and we're like, yes, nothing can go wrong. And so, uh, so we're like, okay, that's ready. Maybe we'll test it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But let's, let's get on with decorating the stage. Because listen, my, my wife does not understand uh, my idea of having stage design stuff at all. She doesn't get, but it's, it's bred in me way, way back. And so we're like, okay, it's a award show. It's got to be some cool stuff. So we decided, remember back when TVs were really old TVs, not today's TVs, but the TVs that if they didn't have any signal going to them, they just did the fuzz thing, right? Well, so we're like, okay, that's kind of cool because if it's got this, the, the fuzz of no signal going to it, then we can, uh, we can paint different images and stuff on it. And if there's a bunch of those sitting up on stage and it's, and it's got all these different images, like that could, that could be kind of cool. And so, so we started getting, collecting as many old TVs as we could get. And that, yeah, those old TVs are heavy, right? And so we had them stacked up on the stage, like in the corners, like on this side, it was like high on this side, there was like three or four. And then like, you know, it would step down and then on the other side. And so there was like these big stacks of TVs on both sides. And um, we got them all painted up. I mean, it looks really good. It looks really good. And so, so there we are. The time for the award show comes. <clears throat> and uh, it's getting close. It's getting close to my time to go flying out of the doors down onto the stage as Indiana Jones. And I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> it's coming closer and closer. And we open the doors. The queue's almost ready. I'm standing there and I got, you know, it's hard to just hold onto a pulley. So we're like, okay, what can I do? I just can't hold on to a pulley. So of course we just grabbed the strap off of a duffel bag and wrapped it around my hands because, you know, safety. Um, yeah, and so I'm standing there and the lights are all out because like a spotlight's going to come on or whatever. And I'm standing up and I'm waiting to go. Now, pause that story. <clears throat> Zip lines are really easy because it's just gravity, right? <laughs> right? But, but really, they're kind of complicated if you think about it. And if you do it right, they can get kind of expensive. And, and in the same way that, that the zip line is like, eh, there's a lot of complications you can put into it, but really it's just kind of simple. The same way this whole idea that we've been talking about the last several weeks um, of spreading the message of Jesus, the whole message of Christ, like, if you get into it, it can get really complicated. But at the core of it, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. 
we've been talking about how Jesus said from the beginning with his disciples, um, if you follow me, I'm going to turn you into something. I'm going to, I'm going to, first of all, spend time. I'm going to make you like me, the same as me. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to spread my message and you're going to do that for others. And that's what you're going to do. And we've been talking over the last several weeks about how most of us are terrified of this, this idea of talking about our faith to anyone, mentioning the name of Jesus to anybody. And one of the reasons that we're terrified to do this is because the whole idea of religion and Christianity and all that, it, we've made it really complicated. In fact, one of the reasons that people reject Christianity is because people don't even really know what it is that they're rejecting. And the reason that people don't understand what it is that they're rejection, rejecting is because Christians have found ways to make things really complicated that aren't necessarily that complicated. It, it, we, we, we find ways to put layers of things and regulations and rules and understandings and just all kinds of different things. We, we find ways to complicate things up that really at their core are pretty simple things. But the gospel, the gospel message isn't complicated. Although a lot of times we've made it that way. And what's amazing about the gospel is that no matter who a person is or where they've come from or what they've done, what they've been through, everybody, everybody gets there the same way. The gospel is the same for everybody. And it's very simple, but we've made it complicated. And many people have rejected Christianity, not even really understanding what it is that they are rejecting. And in fact, many times they're not even rejecting it. They're rejecting a caricature of it something that, that, that has been created and has been built up and made so complicated. It's not even really an accurate reflection of what the original thing was. So I wanna answer two questions as we wrap up this series today that, so that you and I can explain on basic levels, get back to the simplicity, the core of the gospel, what it means to become a Christian. And as we talked a couple weeks ago about inviting people to come and see and about the church holding up its end of the deal within this whole process and helping you share the message of Christ um, <clears throat> with others, um, you may find yourself in a situation where you're like, okay, well, I've kind of identified somebody that I should be saying something to. God's made it obvious to me and aware, you know, I'm aware of it now. How do I, how do, I do this? How does, how do you become a Christian? What does it actually take? And you don't have to be able, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be able um, to answer questions of evolution versus creation. And how does that work in science? Does science fit into it? Or is it all just kind of, you know, mythological make-believe stuff? How does that work? And the whole idea of revelations, oh my goodness, I don't even read revelations, let alone understand, let alone be able to explain it to anybody. And there's Old Testament law and New Testament law. One cancels others. So was, does one not even count anymore? And how does that work? And how do prophecies work? work and, you know, all of this other stuff. But unfortunately, we get into all of that stuff and we think about all of that and we make things way more complicated when God really made it simple. So I want to answer these two questions today to kind of maybe help with a little bit of the anxiety of if you were able to actually get to a conversation. I want to answer two questions that would make it easy. First of all, what does a person need to know to become a Christian? 
And the second one is, what does a person need to do to become a Christian? And these are simple questions that throughout time have resulted in really overly complicated answers. But if someone wants to reject Christianity, let's make sure that they're actually rejecting Christianity. And we're going to look at probably the most famous verse in the New Testament today. In fact, I doubt there's anybody in this room that has not heard this passage um, this morning, but I wanna help you take this verse and be able to explain to somebody in very simple terms exactly what it is they need to know if they're interested in becoming a Christian. Now, before we get into this, let me tell you what a few things that being a Christian is not. Being a Christian is not attending church. That, that is not, I hear people say all the time when I'm talking to them about their life and um, sometimes they feel guilty just talking to me because they know I'm a pastor. I Listen, hey, just so if we're ever out in public together, I really go to great lengths to not let people know that I'm a pastor because as soon as somebody knows that I'm a pastor, they change around me. Immediately, immediately, almost every single person, as soon as they hear that I'm a pastor, oh yeah, I know, I, I know I should really get back into church. <laughs> every single time. They start apologizing for three times ago when we were together and they cussed and they didn't know I was a pastor and they're really sorry. And I'm just like, oh no, no. So, I love, so if we're ever out together and it looks like I'm avoiding telling people what I do, I am. But it's not because I'm ashamed. <laughs> It's because I don't want people to change around me. But a lot of people, they say that. This is the idea of like Christianity is like, it's church. The idea, they they go together. Oh, I need to get back into church. I know I do. I need to get back. It's, It's what I need to do. But listen, attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than swimming in the ocean makes you a shark. Right? I mean, it sounds like really stupidly obvious, but it's true. Like attending church does not equal Christian. And it's really unfortunate that's not a more well-known idea out there because there are a lot of people who think just attending church does it for them and that they're good. There's a lot of people who attend church who definitely aren't Christians, but other people who aren't Christians also, but don't attend church, look at the people who aren't Christians that are attending church and assume they're Christians, and so then judge all Christians based on how they behave. And it's just a really unfortunate thing that everybody doesn't know that attending church doesn't make you a Christian. Um, Here's another thing that being a Christian doesn't mean. It doesn't mean getting your life put back together. Now that may eventually be a result of becoming a Christian, but a lot of times, you know, I hear people be like, yeah, and you know, I just really got to get my life back together. And you know, I got to get things straightened up. I got to start, you know, I got to get, I got to get things back. Listen, we are terrible at getting our life back together. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Anybody struggle with getting your life back together? Yeah, it's perpetual. We will go to our graves getting our life back together. <laughs> like, it's part of the struggle. Like, it's, it's not natural for us to have together lives. People all the time try straightening up and being good, and they're terrible at it. But that's not what it means 
to be a Christian. A, a lot of people mean like, oh, okay, if I wanna be a Christian, I need to pray a prayer. How many of you have prayed the sinner's prayer? How many of you know there's zero biblical foundation for the sinner's prayer? <laughs> zero, like it's not. Nowhere in the New Testament is there a single instance of somebody saying a prayer and becoming a Christian. It just doesn't exist, but we've got this idea because, you know, it fits and it's like this kind of dramatic moment of, you know, okay, well now you need to profess and declare and do it. And here's a prayer, God, come into my heart, you know, and we start with just weird, complicated things like that anyway. Like, wait, 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 God, come into my heart. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, like into my physical, are we being metaphorical here? Is this real God, fake God, real heart, fake heart? What are we talking about? Well, real God, but fake heart, you know? And so we got to mix the fake and the real. And it just, we just, from the beginning, we start layering and complicating the thing more than we need to, right? And you also, here's another thing. Here's one that, here's one that people really get confused. And some of you longtime Christians, you, you may, you may bristle back at me against this one, but being, being a Christian is not, you don't become a Christian by committing yourself to God. Let me explain. Your level of Christian has nothing to do with your level of commitment. We've made it more complicated than what it is. But in this one verse, in this one verse, Jesus tells us everything that we need to know about becoming a Christian. So in the book of John, just let you know the context of this verse and how Jesus lands on it as he says this verse that all of us know. He was meeting with, he was meeting with a guy named Nicodemus who was part of the, uh, part of the, uh, uh, the, the Jewish um, council. He was one of the guys that made the laws, kept the laws, made sure others kept the laws. He was part of the ruling council. And Nicodemus was talking with Jesus about this very same topic. Not about being a Christian because that term hadn't been invented yet. That would be couple hundred years later, but this idea of being saved and whatnot. And so Jesus giving Nicodemus credit for being on this council and being a teacher and being someone who was educated um, and intelligent, he, he kind of gave Nicodemus an intellectual answer um, to his question of basically how to be saved. What do I got to do for eternal life? The idea of being saved. And so Jesus kind of gives him this intellectual answer and Nicodemus hears this intellectual answer and it just does not connect with him at all whatsoever. In fact, it just confused him even more. And so Jesus broke it down for him and said, all right, let me explain it to you like this. And this is where we pick up our passage for today. He said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. Now let's stop there. Do you know what people who are not Christians need to know? They need to know God loves. God loves them. That is the, that is the foundational baseline for the whole thing, that God loves them. And this is good news because there's some people who are running from God. Not literally like, ah, there's God, I gotta run this way. <laughs> no, like avoiding God. Like who are like, ah, nope, I'm gonna resist God. I don't wanna think about God. I don't wanna go around anywhere that will remind me of God. 
Like not now, maybe someday. A lot of people say, oh, maybe someday I'll settle down. Family, kids, maybe I'll think about the whole God thing. That Not now, not now, not now, not now. But we do it because we miss the, the very foundational first part of this whole idea, the God loved part. Jesus didn't open up this idea by saying, God was really angry or God was so mad at you God hated people so much. Like that's not the, that's not the opening idea. And the opening idea is God was in love with you. And the reason that he was in love with you is because you reflect his image. And so that's the, the very first basic idea. What do people need to know? People need to know God loves you. He keeps going. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In other words, God did what people who are in love do. He gave. And he didn't just give, he gave something that was valuable to him, his only son. So do you know what? Somebody who's not a Christian needs to know. And we've overcomplicated all of the things that it is. And here's what they need to know. They need to know God loved and he gave his only son. That's it. He loved and he gave. He loved and he gave. You don't need to know the names of the first two people on the planet and who their kids were and then come out with some weird explanation to figure out where those boys found wives. Ever thought of that? <laughs> right? That's it. You don't, need to, you, don't need, you don't need to know how in the world, if you really think about it, was Noah supposed to 5,000 years ago actually get dinosaurs on the ark because he gives the dimensions and we know how big dinosaurs are and like, wait, were they still around and how does that? Ah. These aren't the things. <laughs> These aren't the things that you need to start with that are the important things. All you need to know, God loved and God gave. And specifically, that means God sent his son into the world to be a sacrifice for our sins. And we've talked about many times in, in Tapestry, we've talked about the whole idea of God reconciling him, us to himself. And this is how he did it. He gave what was most precious. And this proves that God wasn't angry. God was in love. He wanted to reconnect. It proves that he wasn't chasing us in order to chastise us. He was chasing us in order to rescue us from ourselves. And he was, when I think about this idea in the best way that I can explain, like, okay, he was chasing us to save us from ourselves. How does that work? But then how do we think he was mad in the process? I think about, you know, as Tech was younger and we would go walk in with the dog downtown a lot. Tech loved to run. And as he would go running towards streets, <laughs> what was my reaction? <laughs> I would yell his name really loud. And to him, when he heard me yell his name really loud, he thought I was angry. I wasn't angry. I love that kid. I didn't want him to hurt himself by running out into the street in front of a car. And so what I was doing out of love towards him, he interpreted as me being angry and the same kind of dynamic holds true between people and God. He came and he wasn't angry. 
He was in love. He wanted to save us. He loved and he gave. And literally that is all you need to know to become a Christian. It's that simple. Well, yeah, Andy, okay, I understand that. But I have friends who don't believe that. That's okay. That's their prerogative. They're allowed to not believe that. But let's make sure what they're not believing is the right thing that they should not be believing in. So that's the answer to what we need to know. It's simple. We've made it so complex, but it's not that complex. Look at the second question. What do we need to do? Here it is. So now we need to know, here's what we need to do. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. That's it. Whoever believes in Jesus is the son of God, will not perish. Now the Greek phrasing for believes, because it's hard, because you can't, you can't, just decide to believe something, can you? Like you kind of either do or you don't, right? Like what color, like these lights up behind me, those are, those are blue lights. Everybody agree those are blue lights? And raise your hand if you agree those are blue lights. If you do not think those are blue lights, raise your hand. Okay, good. So we're all in the same basement. Now, if I were to look at you and say, I want you to believe that those are red lights, how many of you could just choose to believe? Okay, they're red. Anybody? No. But luckily, this word that's been translated believe to us in English in our Bibles, believes not really what that word means. The Greek phrasing for that believes in really actually more accurately means trust in. It's to place your trust in something. So what do you need to know? God loves, God gave. What do I got to do? You've got to trust in that. You've got to trust in that. It means we need to trust that Jesus' death and resurrection took care of our sins and we are no longer carrying them. It's not about a commitment that we make to God. It's about understanding his commitment to us. It's not about promising God. It's about receiving the promises he made to us. It's not about giving to God. It's about receiving the gift of his son that he gave to us. Now, sometimes it's hard to trust something when you don't really trust something. But a lot of times the act of trusting in something and taking the shot at it, and then as it proves itself and makes it easier and easier to trust in, all of a sudden that trust goes from something that you have to actively do, even if you're still eh, about it, to eventually it becomes natural and full on trust. So if somebody gives you a gift, you've got to accept the gift. And here's what Jesus says about that. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved, God gave, we believe, we have. Like that's, that's the whole story in a nutshell. That's the simplicity of it. And this is important because eternal life isn't like living forever because the whole concept of it, if you get down into it, is like, well, everybody lives forever sometimes, somewhere, somewhere. Whatever happens after you die, everybody, you know, we all, we all know. Most all of us, I would guess, have been to a funeral at some point or another. And you realize that while you're there, like, hmm, maybe, maybe. Maybe there's something else. We hope there's something else. Maybe, maybe some of us don't hope there's something else. I don't know, but we wonder. And it's in us. There's just this thing. 
there's this thing in us that just desires or wonders or maybe longs for something more than just this. And we have this curiosity because we were created as eternal beings in God's image. And the promise that God gives us is that eternal life, which is a brand new life in perfect standing with God without the things holding us back that we have here. So to become a Christian, here's what you gotta know. God loved, God gave. What do you gotta do? You gotta believe to get what? Eternal life. That's, that's it. Now, some of you may wonder, like, okay, Andy, if it's that simple, why in the world is the Bible so thick? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> right? Because you've made it sound kind of, uh, you've, you've made it sound like this much of a book and it's like this much of a book. You get back, you get back some of the old, some of your parents had the, the, did anybody have like the coffee table Bible in their house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those ones were like this thick, right? Those were never really for reading. You dusted them a lot, right? So Andy, if it's that simple, why is there all of the other stuff? And if you look at it all, no wonder we get confused. And no wonder we make it more complicated. You look at Leviticus and it's like, oh man, you've got to change your entire diet. And you know, if you break it and do it wrong, I mean, that's punishable by death. What's going on? It's really hard to make. You go to the other, you go to the other end of the big thick book, Revelation. Oh my goodness, nobody's making it out of Revelation. Like, phew, that's just, that's the stuff of nightmare. My, my, my youngest son, he's really into scary things right now. Like he's reached that age where he just like wants to watch scarier and scarier movies and shows or whatever. Like, man, I'm getting ready to start reading him Revelation as his bedtime story. (laughs) And, and listen, it really doesn't make sense. And how do you get through all of that? Is that all real or is that just John as an old guy on an island having some weird hallucination? Like what was happening with all that? Then you read through some of the stuff Paul said Oh my goodness, Paul talks himself in circles, right? You, you go reading through some of that stuff and you're like, oh my goodness. You gotta get back to, okay, I'm gonna have to take this one sentence at a time. Remember, remember back in elementary school when you had to like diagram sentences? Holy cow, with some of the stuff Paul writes. You gotta write that sentence out and just find out, okay, like where's the nouns, the verbs, the prepositions, the adjectives, how do they work together? Wait, what did, did he circle back? Don't you have to use a semicolon when you do that? Oh, Paul. And really, that's why nobody, you know, there's hard. The Gospels, come on, there's four different Gospels. Couldn't they like get together and come up with one Gospel? We're like, you know, it stayed simple and the story all stayed the exact same. Ever read through the Gospels? The story varies. It's not consistent from each one to the other. What are you supposed to do with that? How do you handle it? Oh, it's just so complicated. The Bible. Could it possibly, possibly, Andy, be as simple as you have made it sound? And my answer is yeah. Because listen, the Bible is the story of God and man. And anytime man is involved in anything, it's complicated. And it's messy, and it doesn't make sense sometimes, and it's wrong sometimes. But that's the story of God and man. But the story of salvation is simple. God loved, God gave. We believe and we receive. Now, perhaps maybe anticipating some of your thoughts about thinking God was mad, Jesus clears it up in the next verse. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And you know why Jesus didn't condemn the world? 
because the world was already condemned. There was no need for him to add more condemnation on top of it. That would not have been any new news. We can look around and see. I mean, it's obvious. You look around, this world is a condemned world. It's a messed up world headed in the wrong direction. What would have been the point of Jesus clarifying that? Nothing. He wasn't there to lay the guilt on. But he came to save the world through him. God sent his son because God cared. And all we gotta do is believe and accept. And there's the truth in those verses. People don't spend an eternity separated from God because of sin. Get a little controversial here for some of you. That's not what it is. There's a solution. There's a solution for sin. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for all sins. Everybody's past, future, all of it in that moment. The sin problem was taken care of. People spend eternity from God because they don't trust in him and accept it. And the issue is not saying God took care of that. And the reason that the gospel is called the good news is because it's not about us performing and us living up to a standard because we can't, we're not that good. We're not, it starts with God love and God gave and that is good news. Now, we're gonna share that news and there are gonna be people that when you share that news, they just don't buy it. They just don't buy it, but let's make sure that what they're not buying is actually the thing that we're talking about. And listen, when you talk to somebody about your faith, about Jesus, here's the load off. It is not your responsibility to get them to believe. It's your responsibility to live out the gospels. It's your responsibility to be a good example and to let them know. So there I am. I'm standing at the open doorways, at the top of the gym. Music's blaring, lights are flashing. I've got a hold of the thing, waiting for my cue, holding on to the gym bag strap. And when I go, and I start sliding down over that crowd, it was a thing of beauty. I was, I was a bird. I was graceful. What I never thought about in the whole process was stopping. See, we had, we, had the, we had the cable tied to an I-beam. It was about as solid as this thing here. And I'm coming from the second floor. I'm heading right at it. But good news. Good news. This is a good news Sunday. If you remember from our earlier stage design, I had set up a blockade unknowingly because I had a pile of televisions right here. Guess who hit the televisions at full speed on a zip line from clear across the gym on the second floor. And so I knew it was gonna be painful. And so I tucked up most of my body like this and then I stuck out a foot because I thought maybe if I could get them knocking over before I get through it, I could survive. And I hit, and when I hit, I fell off of the thing, the strap came undone and I went through it and I took out like, I don't know what they're, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or eight televisions, just <laughs> pile of televisions laying there and I'm underneath it. And I'm hurt. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and every, you know, like music was still going, but like you could tell everybody was like, oh. 
I had a little side duffel bag with me that had the golden baby doll. That was going to be the next. So I'm like, oh, the show must go on. So I'm laying there underneath. They can't, you, the people sitting down there, they can't see me. They just see a pile of televisions. And everybody's wondering what's going on. So I reach in, I grab the, and I just stick the gold baby doll up in the air out of the televisions. <laughs> a loud cheer erupts. I limp up to the podium trying my best. In that moment, I realized there's some things that should be more complicated. That the simple way to do things isn't always the best way to do things because it can lead to some bad things. But let me tell you, the gospel is not one of them. And so as we end these series, here's, here's my encouragement to you. In your journey, do your best to allow Christ to make you more like him. And then live that out. And when the opportunity comes for you to talk about just keep it simple. Keep it simple. It's not on you to, to explain the whole vast concept and all the intricacies and make someone else believe. Be like Jesus. And when somebody asks, keep it simple. God loves you and he gave his son for you. All you have to do is trust. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that the gospels exist, that you did this amazing thing to establish relationship with us. And Father, as we've come to the end of these series, Lord, I, I pray that, God, you continue in our spiritual journey to, to, to mold us and to shape us to be more like you. And that as we, as we spend time in that process, God, that you give us the boldness that we saw a few weeks ago, that the early church prayed for, give us the boldness to share the message, to be the people we need to be. And then Father, can we as individuals and as a church as a whole that partners with each of the individuals, be people that look for the opportunities to spread your message. And when we have that opportunity, we can keep it simple and succinct that you love and you gave. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you all next week. It's a beautiful